Hello and welcome to the Blockade Runner Podcast. My name is John and with me, as always, is Ryan. Good morning. Good morning, Ryan. Ryan's feeling a little under the weather, but he's uh, he's too dedicated to the cause to call in sick to our podcast this morning. So, uh, <laughs> and, for- and I called in sick on Thursday. <laughs> so, oh, did you? Well, I mean, to, to, to the podcast. We're oh, going to yes, record this on Thursday, but like I had even less of a voice then. Yeah. So. No, I, I was just, uh, for some reason, I was thinking, you know, not going to work on Thursday since it was negative 30 degrees or something here that day and school got canceled for me. So, um, yeah, it was uh, bananas over here mm. in Illinois as far as the weather's concerned. Polar vortex. Yeah. Yep. Back. But, um, yeah, but it's going to be in the 40s today. So um, positively balmy in uh, in Blockade Runner headquarters here. So wow. no issues. All right, let's jump into the show. We've got some news. We've got uh, some resistance thoughts and actually uh, a voicemail, some listener feedback, which is cool. Um, and then our primary topic, um, which uh, Ryan's excited to talk about and uh, kind of came up with, is the uh, EA, Electronic Arts and Star Wars situation, we'll say. Um, so we're going to look at the history of that and uh, kind of our thoughts on the... Um, the deal there with uh, EA and Star Wars, I think. So um, that's the plan. And, uh, I don't, you know, there's not any big news this week, really. Um, uh, nothing major, major, like I was maybe thinking we would get. Um, mm. No Star Wars show return, which was a real weird thing because it seemed like it was coming back and then it no-showed. Uh, they called in sick, I guess, this week. But... Um, <laughs> But there were a couple of tweets over the last week or so that I thought were really interesting in regards to episode nine. And uh, so we've got a tweet from John Boyega, a tweet from Anthony Daniels, and a tweet from Brian Herring. Um, the uh, the John Boyega tweet, um, actually, let's start with the Anthony Daniels tweet. That was from the 28th. Mm-hmm. And um, he was uh, tweeting about his last day on episode nine. So Anthony, Dan- Anthony Daniels posted, today was 3PO's last day on episode nine. He's so sad, so am I. But we're so proud to have worked with such a lovely, talented cast and crew led by JJ and Kathy. I'll miss everyone, but I'm glad to know that we've been making something exceptional together to share with the waiting world. It's a little bit of a goosebump situation for me reading yeah. that tweet. You know what I mean? Um, it's it, I read it and I was like, oh, wow, they're almost done with episode nine. And then I read it again and I was like, whoa. Like, what if that's the last time Anthony Daniels ever plays C-3PO, you know? Um, it's just really crazy to think about. So, um, but an emo- a little bit of an emotional, an emotional tweet, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we've got one from John Boyega. Uh, somebody asked him, Club Star Wars on, on Twitter, how much more filming are you doing, John? And out of all three productions, what's been the most fun to work on? He says, just a little more exclamation point. So, um, I think we're, we're getting close, um, mm-hmm. to, to episode nine wrapping. Um, and then he says out of all three productions, uh, what's been the most fun to work with club star Wars asked, uh, work on. And, uh, John Boyega says this one has been the most fun by far. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's hmm. exciting. You know, um, I think it's, it's a sign of good things for episode nine, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you and I were talking last night, Ryan, about, uh, like when they're still filming, they're still filming. Like, I hope things are going well, or I just hope like it's on track to get to come out when it's supposed to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a tweet like that, I think, is an indicator that it seems like I mean, we haven't heard any like negativity or anything bad, no drama, anything like that coming out. Um, 
from the set. We haven't really heard much of anything, so maybe that's why. But um, <laughs> but for John Boyega to say, like, this one's been the most fun by far to work on just sounds like, you know, people are happy about what's going on there and um, must be going pretty smoothly, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this, this uh, filming has not had, like, a a like Harrison Ford like situation at all. So like yeah. it's um, I know like, um, you know, force awakens uh, filming like ran long, but you know, that was because there was, um, you know, that, that issue with um, Harrison and all that. Um, but like, this just seems like they have a lot to film. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I wonder if they're, um, you know, filming extra, filming more than is needed, maybe filming more stuff to even like throw off people on the set, uh, to like what the what the story is. Like they're just they're just filming a lot, it <laughs> seems like for a long time. Yeah. Um, and maybe just have like a lot to work with. Um for when they uh hunker down in the in the editing chamber yeah yeah i mean that could be and um it sounds like from stuff that john boyega and um john boyega and and kevin smith have said is that it sounds like there's some pretty um complex or pretty big sequences too so mm -hmm. um you know because i always think like man they're filming for a long time and uh you know the longer they film the more i'm thinking like what's the runtime on this movie going to be you know what yeah I, mean? I really don't want a more than two and a half hour long Star Wars movie. I think that's about as far as they should go personally, you know? And it's like, would I want more than two and a half hours of Star Wars content that I could watch? Yeah. Like if it's a two and a half hour movie and then there's like a straight up hour of deleted scenes on the, on the Blu-ray or something like mm. sure, I'd be all in for that. But, um, I don't want a three hour and 15 minute, uh, Star Wars movie or anything like that. I know. I don't think they would do that. I'm confident they won't pretty positive, but, um, you know, it's like, oh man, is this movie going to be really long? But then I just think like, well, it, it could just be the, the, the complexity of what they're filming in certain scenes, you know, mm -hmm. if it's like giant battle sequences and stuff like that. Like maybe that just takes a long time to film in comparison to, um, to other stuff maybe. So, you know, who knows? But yeah. anyway, it, it, it definitely seems like they're wrapping up. And this last tweet that uh, we wanted to uh, mention is from yesterday, I think. It was mm -hmm. from uh, Brian Herring, who is a puppeteer, BB-8 puppeteer, like the, the lead BB-8 puppeteer, uh, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe he's coming to Celebration too. Did they announce that? I thought they did. Um, okay, well, we'll see. But anyway, uh, today was a wrap on BB-8. The last five years have been an amazing ride. Thanks to J.J. Abrams, Kathleen Neal, Team BB-8, especially Dave and the entire cast and crew for the time of my life. Few people get to live the dream. Thank you. Uh, and then a couple of hashtags there. Mm -hmm. um, with some photos of Ray on the Jakku desert um, and uh, just some, some fun, some fun shots there from, from the last uh, five years of filming star Wars movies. So, yeah. So he did the, he did the porgs. Yeah. It looks and, that way. As well. And um, the, what are the creatures on Canto bite? Um, Fathiers? Yeah. Fathiers. It looks like there's a picture of one of those in there too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, BB 8s amazing, mm -hmm. and uh, all the puppeteer work on these sequel movies has been incredible. Yeah. So, um, that's a that's a Star Wars MVP right there, no doubt. But um, you know, 
just just hearing that uh, both BB-8 and C-3PO are done, it's like, well, they've got to be pretty darn close to being finished, If uh, especially BB-8. I mean, C-3PO, we haven't seen so much C-3PO in these, in these sequel movies, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, knowing they're done with BB-8 even, I feel like, look, well, I, I would say we're in the last week, I think, you know, with people, um, you know, leaving the set and being done and and all that sort of thing i would uh i would assume they are essentially done filming we're maybe a week two at the most i would think um and they'll be done so uh that brings all kinds of uh good things with it you know um mm-hmm. if, they, if they finish filming i think um we'll get a press release or maybe even a little video uh you know we got that really cool video when episode eight started filming um the uh the video of them on octo and it's like oh today is officially the first day of, mm. of episode eight filming or yesterday was um it'd be really great to get some kind of video like that announcing we're done this was the end you know and just like 30 seconds of behind the scenes shots like nothing meaty nothing like necessarily being like you know revealing any content at all but just yeah. to see some 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 videos of actors smiling and laughing yeah. on set. I just and... want to see Os- Oscar Isaac horsing around. <laughs> yeah. Like, just give me that. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, this movie's in good shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some episode nine horseplay would be great. Yeah. Uh, that would yeah. be fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. But, um, or, or, you know, uh, maybe we get the title, you know, press release saying mm. the movie's done. Here's the title. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that. But, uh, some episode nine news. I think once they're done filming, hopefully they'll be willing to share even the tiniest bit of news because there was a there was a, a photo from day one of shooting, and mm-hmm. it's been radio silence since then, completely from yeah. uh, official sources. So um, anyway, uh, it's just cool. It's cool to know. Um, but even that, like I was, I was saying, like the Anthony Daniels tweet is kind of sad, you know. Um, even just seeing these tweets in general, it's kind of sad when you think about it, like a little bit, you know. It's like. The sequel trilogy it's um you know a preview of how we're gonna feel in probably like what mid-january of next year <laughs> you know i've yeah. already gone to see the movie 10 times in the theater you know the whole cycle's wrapping up and yeah. like uh whoops now the sequels are done you know that's it yeah yeah <laughs> it's gonna be kind of a bummer so yeah. all right well that's the episode nine um non-updates that have been going on <laughs> so um the other news thing we want to talk about um was from thursday morning um, and these are the Galaxy's Edge books th- that were announced by StarWars.com. And um, we have we talked about the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge comic on this show, or did we just talk about that over text, maybe? Um, I think it might be just text. Yeah, maybe we haven't talked about this, but there is a Galaxy's Edge miniseries coming up. And, and actually, when I saw this press release, I was like, oh, I didn't know for sure if it was a miniseries or if it was an ongoing thing. But... Um, mm-hmm. This is a, a little bit of a Tales from Jabba's Palace type setup, I guess you'd say. And there's this uh, this Ethorian um, character, Doc Andor. Doc Andor. Um, and he runs like an antique shop in the, uh, I think, in Galaxy's Edge um, in, 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 on Batu. And he's just going to tell stories about stuff related to Batu, I think, in, in the comic. So, mm-hmm. um I'm ex- I mean that to me that's pretty exciting. I think that sounds like really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and if I mean if you again if you're reading um you know some of the you know books and stuff that's coming out now um especially again Flight of the Falcon you're already getting tastes 
of uh, Batu in there. So, um, you know, this is, it's already started. <laughs> like, yeah. this is the, you know, this is going to be the stuff that, like, further um, expands that uh, that location. But, you know, if you want to, if you want to jump in now, Fight of the Falcon, do it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I need to do that myself. So, um, yeah, and I mean, there's, there's clearly going to be no shortage of storytelling around uh, Batu and Galaxy's Edge, uh, as evidenced by this press release. And this is like not even everything um, Batu related that they're publishing this year, I think, too. So yeah. um, it's pretty interesting. But uh, the next one we have is a, a novel called Black Spire. And this is from Delilah S. Dawson, um, who wrote Phasma and has done some other uh, Star Wars writing as well. And um, this is coming out September 3rd. Um, so it's, it's really interesting, actually, when you look at these release dates, mm -hmm. um, when you think about it a little bit, because it's like September is generally when, you know, the Force Friday type thing would be and all the Episode 9 publishing stuff mm -hmm. would be happening. Uh, but, I mean, it's too early probably to get those announcements at this point. Maybe Celebration will get that. But mm -hmm. it just seems like, wait, you're releasing all this Galaxy's Edge stuff in, you know, August and September. And that's generally when a lot of the, the sequel trilogy movie or, you know, whatever the new movie is, that's when the, the publishing related to that stuff would happen. Um, so, you know, I don't know. As I, as I float that conspiracy theory out there, I'm already second guessing it though, because there's really only one full on novel here. Um, and that's Black Spire and that's coming out September. Um, mm -hmm. and actually they don't usually do a novel, like an adult novel related to whatever the new movie is, um, that early, I think, you know, um, yeah. And I mean, who's to say that Batu isn't like tangentially related to episode nine? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, that, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, is this evidence that Batu is part of episode nine? Yeah. Um, but then now, so here's the list. Galaxy's Edge comic, that's going to start in April, so that's not mm -hmm. in that in that timeline. Mm -hmm. um, then we get Black Spire from Dalila S. Dawson. That's September, so that's right when you expect, like, or I would expect the sequel movie publishing to happen, episode nine publishing to happen. Um, but then there's a... Actually, like, no. If you read the synopsis for Black Spire, mm -hmm. it's totally related to episode nine. I mean, because it's a... Yeah, well, it fills in a gap between eight and nine. So it says, in this novel, a prequel to the Disney Parks experience, General Leo, Leo Organa dispatches her top spy to Batu in a desperate search for resistance allies. Like, that okay. could totally be something that takes place between eight and nine. Yeah, uh, that's, well, yeah, 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 I guess that's true. So that's that true. would be like a lead in to nine. Okay, great point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great point. Um, it seems very likely. I think you're right. I think you're right. But not super direct. I mean, related, but but like like I'm thinking about um, The Last Jedi. There was no adult novel that came out that was like really setting up The Last Jedi, you know, in that fall before the movie came out. So um, maybe this I is... I mean, the, the Force Awakens <laughs> novelization. <laughs> yeah, but that came out well, I know, but when like, but it, it's different because Last Jedi was such a direct continuation of like The Force Awakens. It was like hours after. Yeah. So I think there, I think there's going to be more of a gap between 
eight and nine. And so like this makes more sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think you're right. And uh, I do think, yeah, it looks like there will be a stronger link than I was mm. thinking. But I guess my my thought is that they just don't seem to really want to reveal too much before the movie comes out. And they don't even want to put out like uh, stuff that's too closely linked. You know what I mean? So uh, maybe this is a good like middle ground where it's like, okay, it's sort of about Galaxy's Edge and that planet Batu, And it's like definitely maybe more of a, of a, a tie in with Galaxy's Edge than it is with Episode Nine, but you know it's mm-hmm. also going to. If you read that before Episode Nine, that's you know it'll play in, in in a certain way, or like it'll it'll set up certain ideas in Episode Nine or whatever. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of the way like Aftermath was for Force Awakens. Yeah, like you didn't really get much of that in the in the first book in the Aftermath trilogy, but by the time you got to like the third book. Um, like it was, you know, there was a lot of connections and like that trilogy does set up force awakens really well. Right. But therein lies some of the problem with, uh, the, the, the reception to, uh, aftermath. Cause I think a lot of us thought like, oh my God, there's a new star Wars movie coming out uh, like six months before they're going to put out this novel. That's like really going to like be so, yeah. you know, meaty as far as like, um, setting up this prequel era or the sequel era. And it's going to reveal so much. And it was like just its own thing. Um, yeah. Which now I think we're a lot more equipped for that, you know, like not, yeah. not to have expectations too high about what, you know, that sort of stuff will be. Anyway, um, it's pretty exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Phasma, um, the book, I, I liked. I think we talked about it on the show mm-hmm. way back when. Um, there's certain parts of it that I didn't love as much, but I think like yeah. uh, the writing and uh, that sort of stuff I thought was was strong. And um, there's yeah. just certain elements of the plot or the story, I guess, that I was like a little halvesies on. Um, but I would put it in definitely in the... Uh, Star Wars novels, I've enjoyed new canon novels. I've enjoyed, you know, category. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's it definitely an interesting and um, in, like the way it's written and everything like it's it's you can tell that Delilah Dawson and Chuck Wendig are friends and uh, they because they both have very interesting, you know, takes and approaches to um, Star Wars writing Um that are really unique to both of them. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if like they kind of leaned into each other and bounced ideas off each other. Um, when, when doing this. Um, yeah, I think Phasma is like a fascinating book. Um, I didn't 100% love it. I think both of us had some, uh, some issues with kind of like the middle of the book. Um, but I think like the, the, the bookends, the be you know, the beginning and the end of that book are fantastic and like really captivating. Um, it, I think, like it's just kind of the the middle bit um, is a little uh, a little off and didn't quite feel Star Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but yeah, like I said, definitely, I, I walked away from that thinking like Delilah Ostasen is uh, is one of the <clears throat> the Star Wars authors that I think like I would would definitely want to read more books from so um so yeah this is cool yeah this is cool uh there's also a young adult novel called crash of fate um and this is about izzy and jules who uh izzy's family leaves batu when she's six <clears throat> then she comes back and jules was there the whole time and then they don't know how they feel about each other but then there's these smugglers and an angry pirate that are chasing them and guess what they might fall in love so um <laughs> <laughs> you know it sounds fun uh yeah sounds fun I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to that but it, you know it's just reading it it sounds um very uh uh well tread ground you know as far as young adult plots go and stuff but i think that's 
um, that's that's what uh, that's part of the appeal to uh, of young adult books to uh, to the audience they're written for is that there's a there's a, a certain kind of story that really resonates a lot with uh, young adult readers and, and I think this sounds like it'll be one of those um, but uh, I'm, I'm you know I plan on reading it, it sounds pretty good yeah um, that sounds fun to me <laughs> yeah 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 I don't think it's going to be like Lost Stars 2 where we read it and we're like oh, this is like maybe secretly the best Star Wars book you know it sounds like a little more um, standard YA fare than that no but... no I mean who knows like reading the um, the synopsis for Lost Stars 2 we might have been like, I, I, I mean, I was not expecting that to be the best Star Wars book ever written <laughs> going into it. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> then well, there you go. Keep, so. keep an open mind, I guess. So. <clears throat> yeah, because yeah. this and is then, another new um, new Star Wars writer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as far, yeah, I'm not familiar with her. Um, possible that there's like a short story in Insider or maybe I don't think in um, that uh, 40 years of, of Star Wars book that... Uh, the one that I haven't read all of with all the short stories, yeah, the 40 short stories. Maybe. But um, yeah, I think a new a new author. So um, who knows? Could be could be great. Um, last one I think is really exciting too. It's called Star Wars Myths and Fables. Um, and this is by George Mann, who I think is also a new, uh, new to Star Wars um, and includes illustrations from Grant Griffin. And this is a middle grade novel. Um, so I think that means like sort of like sixth grade kind of thing. Um, and, uh, it features two stories, uh, that take place on the, uh, on Batuu, um, and a bunch of other untold tales from the edge of the galaxy. So, uh, outer rim, or maybe even, um, you know, um, uh, how am I losing the term now where snow can ever, uh, the unknown regions, um, <laughs> maybe from there, but, uh, it says it's a, a lushly illustrated in a style that pays homage to real world children's classics. So going to have a total like fairy tale type vibe. Um, I remember having those books, you know, full of fairy tales when I was a, a kid, um, in, in, you know, really, uh, pouring through those and enjoying all the art associated with them and, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it sounds, I, I just love this. I love any time that Star Wars gets a little, just like kind of actually I say that. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know if it's true. I was gonna say, I love it whenever Star Wars goes a little into the fantasy direction, you know, I'm like, <laughs> wait, do I? Yeah, Cause no, like, cause you don't like old Republic and that's like total, like, <laughs> like Star Wars Tolkien. Yeah. And I don't like the, uh, the uh, Mortis trilogy either. And that's another one that people love. And I feel like that's got a little more of that like fantasy, you know, mm. fairy tale type thing to it too. So uh, maybe I don't know what I like, but I like the cover of this and I like, I like yeah. the idea. I like the, I like the concept. Yeah. So. Um, and, and you know what, this is the perfect, to me, this is the perfect um, medium for that sort of thing too, though, because mm. um, it's children's book. Uh, it's not, you know, so like it's 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 very much uh, framed in. Hey, these are fables and myths. Um, these are just stories that people tell. So okay. if there's something, you know, it's it's like the Legends of Luke Skywalker book. You know what I mean? Like he did all kinds of crazy stuff in that book, but that was just people telling stories about him. So I don't know if he did yeah. it or not. And it's just you can have fun with it, and and it's not a big deal. So um, yeah, which is the way you should approach like all Star Wars storytelling. <laughs> yeah, they're. Yeah. You know, they're all myths and legends from a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Like, well, yeah, you know what? I'll tell you what, Ryan, that's, hmm. that's a great point. And actually, um, 
you know, as you say that, I think that leads in pretty well to our listener feedback that we have, our voicemail from uh, the rural farm boy. Yeah, um, real quick before we jump into that, um, I grabbed my From a Certain Point of View book off my shelf. Ah. Um, and Zoraida Cordova, uh -huh. um, who is writing A Crash of Fate, did have a story in um, From a Certain Point of View. Oh, okay. Which one was that? Oh, you what, don't have the table. No, no, I'm just looking at the cover. But also, gotcha. um, looking at this cover, like, <clears throat> basically, <laughs> this is like, a looking at the authors on here, this is a really good indicator of who would go on to write Star Wars books uh, <laughs> in the future. <laughs> because yeah. a lot of these uh, people here um, who I, I wasn't familiar with going into this book, um, have now written uh, Star Wars novels and or comics. So uh, that's something really interesting looking back now, like a year or two, year and a yeah. half later, um, that many of these people have written a lot of Star Wars stories since then. Yep. Yep. So, it's kind of the who's who of uh, Star Wars authors. Uh, yeah. At yeah. least currently contemporary. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So last week's episode was um, all about Star Wars Resistance, and uh, we kind of went through um, the second half of the episodes that have come out so far. Uh, we talked a bunch about those, and sort of Ryan was catching up on the show, so we were uh, kind of checking in with you, Ryan, and, and sort of discussing your thoughts on the show, your opinion mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, we have a voicemail here from uh, Roll Farm Boy, which we'll play, and uh, here it is. How do Ryan and John? Wow, I'm on a real CR90 Corvette. Oh, um, this year's Anthony. You know me better in that Twitterverse as Rural Farm Boy. Uh, I just had your show in my playlist today. Dang, that was a long. It was a bit of a tough one to got get through, but I done did it. And. Got some thoughts as I was listening pretty much toward the tail end of the show about, I think it was Ryan was kind of pretty much saying he weren't sure just kind of how to take Star Wars Resistance because it's more meant for kids. Um, my thinking on it, and I'm not going to try to change your mind. You're going to find your own aim to it and your own way to it. But how I takes it for me, I takes it just like how the folks call the films and the novels, books and such. I call them all stories. They're all Star Wars stories, no matter what the format is. And I took it that way. I'm original generation. I'm 52. When I get in Star Wars, I'm a 52-year-old, 12-year-old. So that's exactly how I take resistance. It's somebody wants to tell me a Star Wars story straight up. And I take it as just that. No matter what all is in it or what kind of direction it goes. So maybe if you're still not sure how to take it, take a step or two back and ask yourself, you want to be told a Star Wars story? Because there's folks want to tell you one. Take it for just what it is, that. Don't matter who it's meant for. It's meant for Star Wars fans. What was it Athena Portillo said 
from seven to seven, seven to seventy-seven. So straight up, there it is. Just like you were saying, you weren't quite sure at the beginning when it was being promoted, and you were kind of looking at it, and then as you were watching, it didn't seem to be what you thought you were going to get. Um, again, I will ask you, before we ever got a next Star Wars story, when did you ever know what you was going to get? Because none of us ever did. And then after we got it, we loved it so much. Even, even other couple points where you was mentioning that friends are asking you, should I watch it? Or is it worth it? And plain straight up answer is right back up to the top. You want to be told a Star Wars story? Because if you do, somebody's got one they want to tell you. And this year has gone on pretty long, so I'm going to keep this, get to the end of this here now. I'll have you in my playlist again next week and see what he's talking about. And maybe get you some more of my thoughts. So till that next time, may the force be with you both. See you on the radio. All right. Uh, yeah, so that's that's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Rural Farm Boy, for writing in. And uh, we do hope to hear from you again uh, in the future. Um, but uh, what do you think about that, Ryan, about the, the idea of kind of uh, there's Star Wars stories to be told, and, and are you looking to hear a Star Wars story? Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good um, approach to, um, you know, to extra Star Wars material, like outside of the films and stuff, like um, not to go into it thinking like, is this like something I have to, you know, consume to like extend my enjoyment and understanding of star Wars or do, you know, am I just in the mood for a star Wars movie that, or a star Wars TV show that looks and sounds like this and, um, you know, and just ready to go into it without like my own baggage and expectations and just see what the story is that, um, you know, these talented folks want to tell. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good to be reminded of that because I feel like, you know, it's easy to kind of, for me personally, um, you mm -hmm. know, I just mentioned like Mortis and different like arcs and stuff that I don't like, really like, um, you know, it's easier for for me to lose sight of that. But uh, I, I think the thing with the animation too that makes it a little tricky is that it's so high quality, it's so good. Um, and it's, it's, to me, like I was just talking about that middle grade book, that, that fairy tale book or whatever um, mm -hmm. that's coming out later in the year. It's like that's so far from a Star Wars movie that it's easier for my brain and easier for me to be like, well, this is just, you know, like like Real Farm Boy said, it's just a Star Wars story somebody's telling. And, you know, if I love it, I love it. If I don't, I don't have to like stress out about it. But I feel like the, the closer it gets to a movie, you know, it's like a novel, like a full on like, you know, uh, adult novel is a little closer, you know, mm -hmm. a, a video game with like really high production values, like battlefront two, which we'll talk about that in a few minutes, you know, that's mm -hmm. a little closer to a movie you get to shows like rebels and resistance and Clone Wars, and they're so high quality and so high budget and, and all those sorts of things that it's like, wow, this feels really close to the experience I have watching a star Wars movie. And I feel like the closer and closer I get to like the experience mm -hmm. of a star Wars movie, it's like the more I am going to fret about it a little bit, but mm -hmm. 
that's something that, you know, if you, you just kind of stop and think about it, uh, uh, like, you know, kind of st- take a step back, like rural farm boy said there, um, then, uh, then yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, you, you can sort of say, well, it's just, a, it's just a Star Wars story and, you know, I can relax and enjoy it. And if I don't love it, it's not the end of the world, but, uh, overthinking it, I guess, which we have a tendency to do is, is yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, maybe not necessary. So, so good reminder there. Also loved, uh, uh, the, uh, the little reference to the, uh, Corvette there in the beginning. That was good. Shout out to the name of the show here, the blockade runner. So appreciate mm. that. Um, so, uh, yeah, but, um, great, great comments there from, uh, from Anthony, uh, roll farm boy. And, uh, hopefully we hear more from you in the future. Thanks for listening for sure. And anybody else who'd like to share, uh, feedback on the show or, or just share their thoughts, uh, on star Wars, uh, you can always do so at, uh, blockade runner podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So, should we jump into our main topic here, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Electronic arts and Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to kind of talk about this is because, um, you know, electronic arts and Star Wars, they're back in the news um, because um, they have just, uh, EA has just recently um, announced uh, kind of like the middle of January, they announced that they were um, canceling um, an open world Star Wars game that was in development. And we'll kind of, um, I wanted to kind of go through and because, you know, EA cancels Star Wars game is like a, becoming a very f- like familiar headline um, in the past uh, six years. And um, you know, it's this is not the first time this has happened. Um, and so I wanted to kind of like retrace the steps to see kind of how this uh, continues to happen. And um, I mean, like the what what went wrong sort of, um, you know, approach or maybe maybe nothing's gone wrong. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to, you know, with that as like the jumping off point, the most recent can- cancellation of a Star Wars game, uh, kind of go into, you know, what what led us to uh, to this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely a really interesting um, scenario here, and it's like one of those things where. Um, you know, if we start with this initial press release, it seemed really exciting, um, from a certain perspective, but then again, um, you know, it's, it's also limiting, uh, because of the exclusivity thing. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it was definitely, this was 2013, um, dawn of a new era for Star Wars in a lot of ways and, um, Mm -hmm. for, for Star Wars video games, um, for sure it was. So, um, so we just kick it off here with this, uh, this initial press release or this initial announcement. Yeah, so um, they announced, and this was May 6th, 2013. Um, And, you know, in the press release, they said, every developer dreams of creating games for the Star Wars universe. Three of our top studios will fulfill that dream, crafting epic adventures for Star Wars fans. Dice and Visceral will produce new games, joining the Bioware team, which continues to develop for the Star Wars franchise. The new experiences we create may borrow from films, but the games will be entirely original with all new stories and gameplay. 
Okay. So Dice Visceral and Bioware. Um, and then also uh, there within Disney retains the right to make social and casual games, um, mm-hmm. which I suppose they've done a little bit. But um, even on mobile, uh, EA is um, is pretty heavy into doing mobile games, um, Star Wars mobile games too. So, um, yeah. But uh, but as far as the main console and PC games go, um, it's all EA uh, from this point mm-hmm. on, from 2013 on, uh, and those three studios. So, um, you know, you're probably more familiar with and have played more um, games from those studios, like at the time. <laughs> How, how did you feel about this like announcement at the time? Like, was this pretty exciting? Um, so, yeah, like the one uh, the developer I was kind of least excited about was Dice, um, <laughs> which is funny and ironic how this all worked out. But um, Dice is the developer of the Battlefield games. Um, and, you know, which are kind of like the primary competitor to Call of Duty. Um, they are, um, you know, grounded war shooters um, with like a small single player component in each of them. But the primary focus is on multiplayer, um, competitive multiplayer. Um, so that was kind of what I was like least excited about because I don't, I don't really play, um, competitive online shooters, like outside of like Overwatch and, um, some Halo. So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of least exciting for me. The one, um, the two I was really excited for, however, was, uh, Visceral and Bioware, um, at this point um visceral had uh made the uh dead space games which um the first two of those games i think are some of the the best uh best survival horror um games that you know i've played uh they it le- they lean a bit more um on the action side of survival horror so like they're very clearly um, inspired by like Resident Evil Four, um, but the they are um, you know survival horror in space. So like I would say the Dead Space games are kind of a mix between like Resident Evil Four and Aliens, um, which are things that I like a lot. So um, the third game was uh, a little. Uh, like went for more of like an uh way more leaned way more in on like the action approach so like i wasn't um as into that one um it lost a lot of the horror elements but um but the first two i think are just absolutely fantastic um and they did some really cool like world building and um stuff in there and um yeah i love those uh games a lot so yeah i was really really excited um for uh, for their take on Star Wars. And then finally, um, Bioware, um, you know, their big Star Wars connection is they developed the original Knights of the Old Republic game, which is, you know, um, many people's favorite Star Wars video game ever made. Um, you know, a lot of fans of that uh, universe and those characters. Um, but they've also done um, incredible work with like the Mass Effect series and, um, you know, going even further back, like the Baldur's Gate 
games on PC. Um, just an incredible uh, developer that I like a lot. And I was really excited to um, see what like a modern Star Wars game from them would look like. But it was obvious here that they were, you know, continuing to support their um, MMO, um, The Old Republic, uh, which has been going on PC for, um, for, I mean, probably close to a decade at this point. Um, but, you know, we were kind of also hoping like they would, you know, do something, something else as well. So that was funny to me um, and embarrassing, I guess, a little bit as I was reading through this press release from 2013 and some of the other material we're going to talk about, like these references to the old Republic and it continuing and continuing to be, to be developed and stuff like that. And me just sort of thinking, wait, what? There's like an old Republic game that's like still happening and people still play. And it's like, I think of the old Republic as some Xbox game that came out in like 2005 or mm -hmm. even earlier. I don't know when that game came out. Nice of the old Republic or whatever it is. So, but this is like the old Republic would be like the, um, the MMO uh, type thing, right? That like a PC yeah. MMO or something. Yes. That's just yes. continued to be a thing all this time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like completely under the radar for me. Um, so, yeah. And it's also uh, like, it's like, it's weird. I mean, I, I played the old Republic for, probably like the first six months that it was out and I really enjoyed it. Um, but then like when it gets to like MMO in game type stuff and like the commitment that um, comes with that, like I can, never, I just, I don't have the, the time or attention span for it. Um, but like that game was great, but it's really funny because um, you know, it's, it's that MMO is like old Canon because you know, it was developed before the, uh, before the, yeah and like the the you know quote-unquote canon wipe um so like it's kind of like the weird last bastion of the uh yeah the pre-canon reset type. yeah yeah and it's like still being developed with like its own you know it's still getting new stories and new characters but like none of none of it like you know yeah air quotes counts yeah. Um, and that's just really funny and interesting. And like, I would love to hear from, um, anyone who's still playing the old Republic or who has even played it like within the past, like two or three years to see like, what is going on with that game? Like, what's <laughs> the community like, like what is happening? Are the developers supporting it? Is it running well? Are you getting new content? Like, I don't know anyone who still plays that game yeah. and which is a bummer because it's a really really good game um but yeah i would love to know like how people are feeling about that um now and like what does it look like it has a future or does it look like you know this thing's gonna be shut down in a year like what what is the deal it's fascinating to me mm -hmm. yeah like i said i was just fascinated to hear that it existed or uh, still existed so yeah but uh but sure, any insight on that would be uh, would be cool to hear. I don't know if we have any uh, anybody in our small listener pool who uh, is still playing that game or not. But that would be or ever played it. But but yeah, yeah. definitely let us know if you did. Um, so that was 2013. Then 2015, uh, and I guess you know I was going to mention um, sort of like 
you were most excited about the visceral and bioware stuff but it turns out probably dice is the one you should have been most excited about because there's actually games that have come from dice and they're of those three so um and and their first game was uh was um battlefront in 2015 the initial Mm -hmm. star wars battlefront um so uh talk about that real quick i guess um you know my initial experience with battlefront was like oh my god this game is gorgeous i wish Mm -hmm. i had a console that could play this game um so i kind of sat it out for the first year uh at least i think because i didn't have a ps4 xbox one or anything i could play it on Mm -hmm. um and it was one of the things that you know kind of prompted me to end up getting a ps4 but it was like the next i think it was probably christmas 2016 when i got the ps4 i don't Mm. remember for sure does that sound right i don't know anyways I, i i i got a ps4 down the road and um and, and got the game um and uh you know it, it was it was uh it was really beautiful and did i thought an amazing job of sort of recreating the star wars universe in a playable format but that game is basically online only for the most part and i'm not a big online gamer so um that was a frustration that i think a lot of people had with the original battlefront which was you know corrected in a lot of ways anyways uh for battlefront 2 but um i'm trying to remember i know you played it when it first came out battlefront mm-hmm. in 2015 um and enjoyed it uh well enough or yeah was- yeah i mean i think like my the experience um that is like the best experience i had um with it was playing um kevin and i played it online um together um for a f- we had like a few um a few great sessions um of just like on a, a like late on a friday night um we played on xbox live and um you know just playing and jumping into games like as a as a team and um you know not taking it super seriously and just like talking and you know playing and enjoying and like pointing out like little um easter eggs and stuff that we'd see and like i think that was like you know, the primary enjoyment of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of players out there that, that got like seriously um, invested in that game. were really good at it, played it a ton. Um, And, you know, that's awesome for them. It's also one of the reasons that I didn't play it all that much is because like, you know, you'd go into an online match and for me anyways, I'm really bad at that kind of game. It's not the kind of game I play like Mm -hmm. first person shooters or whatever. I don't do that really. So it was really bad. And, you know, it would be like, I'd, boot up the game and be dead in 15 seconds or something you know what i mean yeah it's just like what am i even doing like i don't even really know what's kind of going on here and stuff like that but uh i did have some some sessions too playing online with like kevin and our other friend matt and um you know there was i forget what they called the mode now but there were like little you had to play them online but there was like little missions you could do where you teamed up with another player and yeah was that like arcade or something well that's what they call it in battlefront 2 and it's like a similar concept Uh, maybe that's what they call it i I know what you're talking about yeah yeah um and that was the most fun i had with it honestly you know the big uh what is it like 40 player um battles and stuff online like i was so bad at that you know Mm. Um, and then also in the original Battlefront, the star fighting stuff, the starfighter stuff, like didn't really click with me very yeah. well in, in the first Battlefront. And then in Battlefront 2, it actually did uh, quite a bit more. So, yeah. um, but but I guess, you know, kind of for the purposes of this conversation here, EA and Star Wars and sort of how this deal is all played out and everything, um, it, I, you know, there was I, the, the, the reception, I guess, of Battlefront was a little bit mixed. But I think like looking back on it for the first kind of big game coming from them, like it's astounding to look at 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really specific kind of game, but for the kind of game it is, I think it's pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, and so I'd like, you know, I think that's a pretty successful uh, game. I mean, I'm sure it was financially successful and stuff too, but mm-hmm. it's just that it, it, looking back at it now, it's a little bit of a sign of problems to come in the sense that like, if this was one item on a menu of Star Wars games from EA that I could choose from, it'd be like, oh, that game's amazing. It's not really the kind of game that I like, but EA's got me covered because they've also put out three other Star Wars games in the last two years, and one or two of those are the kind of game that I like to play. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not really the way it has worked out, so I think that's where like my kind of biggest concern with like the whole Battlefront thing is. It's not that I don't like it, um, but it's just that like that's really all we've gotten. It's 2019. They signed this deal in 2013, and basically we've gotten two Battlefront games as far as like big Star Wars games go. Um, yeah, and that's not great. So, um, and then I think like now would before we get into 2016, um, I think now would be a good time to mention um, there were other Star Wars games on consoles, um, but in like 2015, 2016. Um, the Lego Force Awakens ah, came yeah. out, um, which was really good. Um, but that was from actually I don't Traveler's remember. Tales, right? Aren't they the ones? Yeah, it? but I don't remember who published it because EA didn't publish it. I think like WB. Yeah, I think uh, all the published. Lego games are through. Yeah, Brothers, right. Yeah, so um, that game was, like, really good, and that was, like, another one that, um, you know, if you play it on a um, PS4 or Xbox One, like, that, like, felt like a generational leap in visuals. Um, I remember the first time I saw um, LEGO Force Awakens. I think we have it for PS4. Um, I was like, wow, this looks really nice. Like, um, it looks like, you know, it kind of looks like the like the Freemaker adventures or like Lego Star Wars, like animated movies. Yeah, um, it's beautiful. And I actually, I bought it on, on the PC first. Mm. I have it on PS4 now, but I bought it on the P- PC first and uh, my PC could like barely run it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it had all this, like screen, had all this, like, screen tearing and frame dropping and stuff. And, mm. you know, I don't have a good PC, um, but especially now it's not a good PC, but at the time it was... Uh, not great, but I mean, you'd think like for a Lego game, you know, like it ought to be able to run yeah. it, but uh, clearly it was pretty beefy and um, yeah, visually very impressive. So I don't know how that happened. I would assume that basically like Warner Brothers, Traveler's Tales, whoever, they had some kind of deal with, um, you know, to do Lego Star Wars games for a certain amount of time, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. and that extended into the EA exclusivity period. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, you'd have to, th- I don't know. We didn't, we never got a, a Lego Rogue One or Last Jedi or anything like that. And I would no. think that we would have if it weren't for this EA deal, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And that, I think that's like a huge bummer and a huge loss. Oh, yeah. Um, Cause those games, those games are good. Those games are fun. Um, yeah. Like it was, um, they recently on Xbox One, um, not recently, this was like a year or two ago, um, they made the, um, complete lego star wars um like episodes one through six um they made those uh they made that backwards compatible on xbox one and i went and like played through um like i think i played through all the prequels um again on that and you know those games are still like so fun yeah um they're not like my favorite star wars games or anything but like man i would have like day one bought like you know, Lego solo, 
<laughs> like yeah. whatever um easily like, totally yeah great like yeah lego resistance um any of that yep yeah, yeah. no that would have been amazing star wars rebels lego you yeah know, star wars resistance lego would have been so good totally um, and like and also like kids love those games like kids love lego and kids love star wars well, this is, like, I mean, this is the problem. If, if you're Lucasfilm and you do this deal with EA and I don't know what they were expecting or hoping for, maybe they yeah. knew this going into it and, and, and are fine with it, but you know, don't you want to capture the imagination of children? Don't you want children to be spending more time in the star Wars universe and like being excited about star Wars? Uh, right now, my wife and my kids are playing, um, Lego Harry Potter. Uh, mm. they're super into it. All three of them are really enjoying yeah. playing that game together and stuff. And, uh, you know that's an old game too and it was just on sale on ps4 which is why i got it for them but uh you know it's like that's they are super into harry potter right now and then like when they can go downstairs and like boot up the ps4 and like spend more time in the world of harry potter in a game that's designed for them for kids mm -hmm. like it's a perfect situation you know it's like it's exactly what you want in in like video games surrounding a property like that and um you know when all you're really getting from ea is a couple of battlefront games um, that's not, you know, happening. My kids aren't playing Battlefront. Uh, no. Although my older son has played a little bit of Battlefront, but it's not like really hooking him. It's not totally, you know, it's not for him really. It's for, you know, teenagers and up who want to spend like five hours a day honing their skills at headshots yeah. and stuff. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, I don't know. Uh, I guess there was the other EA, mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars associated or Star Wars, you know, partially Star Wars game, which was, uh, what was it called again, Ryan? I've got like all these figures in the office. Disney here. Infinity. Disney Infinity. There it is. Disney yep. Infinity. And that would have been, that was the other one that was like, you know, more kid friendly. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. I was just getting up to like try to get, uh, I just wanted to like look at one of my little Disney Infinity guys as we have this conversation, but uh, it wasn't readily accessible enough on the shelf. It's over there somewhere. Yeah. yeah, and 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 we played. I played all of the Star Wars stuff in Disney Infinity mm -hmm. two, three, three point oh. Yeah, yeah. three point Okay, because they what they weren't in the other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I played all that. My my son Owen played all that. We had a lot of fun with that. It was great. Um, yeah. I'm really bummed that that. I mean, I understand why that shut down because like financially, I think toys to life and all that stuff it probably was not worth the uh, the return on the investment wasn't strong enough or whatever so you know it makes sense but um that was really fun and that i had more fun with yeah. that than i did with battlefront yeah <laughs> you know yep. not, not more than battlefront 2 probably but more yeah. than more fun than i had with battlefront for same sure. same um, um if there would have been solo content for that or resistance or whatever God, like it would have been amazing no that's like disney infinity that one like that hurt when that shut down um because i was like i was i was loving that i was loving um collecting the figures um and i was like i was ready to start like expanding my collection outside of the star wars stuff um because you know it started being like well if this is going to be a platform you know um like there's other stuff here that I want. Like I want to try like the Marvel games and like get some of those Marvel figures. Like I want the some of the Pixar stuff. Like I want the Inside Out set, which is like my my favorite Pixar movie. And um and then like it was pretty soon after they released 3.0 that they were like actually no. <laughs> like yeah. this is uh this is not not going to keep happening.
Yeah, and it was a bummer because there was Rogue One content that they had started developing, mm -hmm. and, you know, Disney Infinity figures that they had started uh, developing, and, and that stuff never happened. So, yeah. um, but the figures were great, and they ended up being clearanced out, and you could get them pretty cheap. So that was cool. Yeah. I didn't have all of them, but I have a, a, quite a few of the Disney Infinity uh, figures, which I loved. And then um, those figures kind of live on in the Toy Box series from the Disney Store. And I know you've yeah. collected some of those, right? So, yeah, yeah. I'm um, actually making a, a Disney Store trip today. Ooh, so um, nice. I'm excited to grab a grab a couple more for cool. my collection there. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. So should we jump into the future of EA Star Wars games? Yeah. So th this is this is where it really starts getting bittersweet. If it wasn't already, uh -huh. um, 20, 2016 is where like the real heartbreak begins, um, because that's when uh, at EA Play, which is their sort of like e3 event um <clears throat> they did this uh you know blog post and video um by jade raymond who uh is former ubisoft she was like a major um creative force behind the assassin's creed series um and now is at motive studios um she laid out like this is what the next uh you know few years of star wars games are going to be and so this was like the moment where did we record a podcast about this or did we just talk about it i don't know yeah i'm not sure uh, i think we might have done a podcast on this i know we did some some looking towards battlefront 2 type podcast yeah that was, yeah um, so this was like, this is the future of Star Wars games. The future looks good. Um, so she started, like, it starts off talking about, um, you know, 2016 Battlefront is going to continue to get support, um, with these like digital expansion packs, which, um, this was, uh, uh, Battle, Battlefront one, um, was a very pricey experience for me. Um, because I had the game on both PS4 and Xbox One, so I could play with all of my friends <laughs> across uh, um, between the two platforms. Um, and for Battlefront One, the like extra maps, characters, and all that were paid expansions. Um, so I was actually I was buying the expansions for both consoles in addition to owning the game on both consoles, um, which was absurd uh, in retrospect. But, um, you know, it was that, you know, it was like, this is a, you know, Star Wars is back. Like, this is a Star Wars game that we can play online with our friends. Like, you know, I wanted those experiences. Um, so that, uh, you know, that was happening. And then, like, the the coolest thing about Battlefront 1, um, my absolute favorite part of Battlefront 1 was the, in December of 2016, uh, EA and DICE worked with Criterion um, on an exclusive Star Wars Battlefront VR mission for PSVR on the PlayStation 4 side of things. And this was like, this was the dream. This was... Star Wars in virtual reality in your home. And, um, you know, this was 
kind of the reason why I bought PSVR <laughs> was basically for, uh, you know, this experience. And it's, which is hilarious um, because it's like uh, maybe 10 minutes of content. However, I have played through this like single mission uh, countless times um, on PSVR. And, uh, you know, it's still like just um, such a cool um, experience. And it still is like every time I pick it up, I'm it's just incredible to be like, I am doing Star Wars VR in my home like this rules. Um, and then I was like, man, this I cannot wait to see what comes next. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a taste when are we getting that full Star Wars PSVR game? Well, what Still you, waiting on that. Yeah, what do you think the deal is with that? Just like the EA just doesn't put out much content related to Star Wars, it seems? Or uh, do you think it's like PSVR not doing big enough numbers to sort of like support uh, or for them to want to support it that way? Or, or who knows, I guess, huh? I mean, who knows? Like PSVR is like the best-selling... Um, you know, VR, major VR platform, um, you know, and it's, you know, it's still in stores. It's still getting new bundles, still getting new games. Like it's an active platform that, and it has, um, it has a huge attach rate too. Like people who buy PSVR buy a lot of games for it. Um, so well, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I'm I'm putting myself in, and we're getting ahead of ourselves here because we haven't talked about uh, and we've mentioned the Visceral game getting um, canceled. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's like oh, Amy Hennig and Visceral are making this really cool uh, action adventure game with the uh, heavy story elements. Oh, but it's only like probably six to ten hours long, and there's no like major online component to it, and people mm -hmm. could sell it after they buy it. And uh, it just seems like EA's not in it to make stuff that's going to be marginally successful. You know, so if you have PSVR and like, you know, 15% of PS4 owners own a PSVR and you're only going to sell your Star Wars game to 50% of them. Like, is it worth it to invest in making a full game for that platform mm -hmm. to a company like EA? I'm yeah. not saying they couldn't be financially, you know, they couldn't be profitable making it, but like, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like they're really interested in doing anything unless there's giant returns on it, you know? So that's, yeah. that's where I'm like, well, oh, yeah, that's the problem. No, I think that's, um, that's pretty fair, yeah. Um, so then continuing in 2016, um, Galaxy of Heroes, uh, which is the mobile game. Um, have you played it? I haven't actually played it. No. Uh-uh. Uh -uh. Okay. Um, well, it, it doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. me neither. Um, and then in December of 2016, BioWare celebrated the fifth anniversary of Star Wars The Old Republic. And, um, you know, it continued to get it got like big updates and such um, to continue, continue that game. Um, and then also in this video. Um, well, OK, we're not there yet. So um, then they talk about 2017. Um, a new installment of Star Wars Battlefront is currently in development at DICE. Um, and it's in collaboration with Motive Studios in Montreal. And we would, um, like, this was, uh, this is pretty important because 
Motive is who would go on to develop the single player component of Battlefront 2, um, which we didn't know at the time of like, you know, this uh, future of um, Star Wars um, EA play thing. Um, So, but that's, you know, just telling us that, you know, Battlefront 2 is happening. That was not a surprise considering um, Battlefront 1 had sold um, really, really well. And, you know, it had all that stuff that EA wanted. Um, you know, it had people buying those expansion packs. And, um, you know, so it was like monetized past, um, you know, the initial release. And they were like dripping out content so people wouldn't sell their copy of the game. Um, so that was like, EA was feeling pretty good about uh, their, their Star Wars stuff at this point. Um, and then they talked about, uh, coming in 2018 was, um, I'll just read this verbatim, a brand new Star Wars story will debut in a new action adventure game from Visceral Games. I've been blown away by the level of collaboration between the story team at Lucasfilm and Amy Hennig and the team at Visceral as they create an original, authentic narrative in the Star Wars universe. It is an amazing example of how we're taking an already strong partnership to another level. The Star Wars universe is growing day by day with the comics, the films, the games, you name it. And to be a part of that and to work with Lucasfilm is incredibly exciting. So what we're really trying to do at EA is cater to different areas of the Star Wars universe and create different game experiences that are tailor-made for those fans. With Star Wars Battlefront, we wanted to really be able to bring people into the world of Star Wars like never before. What excites me now is bringing in more characters, more planets, more environments, more eras. And that's why we're super happy to have both Motive Studios and Criterion contributing in a significant way. There's no point in making something in the Star Wars IP if you're just going to do what's been done before, right? So it's a fantastic opportunity for Motive to really tell the world what we're about. And we're going to bring that to Battlefront, which is, it's crazy. It's incredible. As a studio, our promise to gamers is ultimately gameplay first. We all demand that the game has these huge wow moments that translates really well to the Star Wars universe. We're going to deliver that Star Wars awe like fans have never seen before. With Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, we talked a lot about how we grew up as kids with Star Wars, and we collected toys, we'd bring them over to a friend's house, and we'd set up these battles where sometimes it was what we'd seen in the films, and sometimes it was just a random mashup of stuff that we wanted to play from our own imagination. Our aim is to bring in characters from all the films, all the TV shows, and even beyond. Star Wars is what got me into role-playing games in the first place, that storytelling you did as a kid with your, your Star Wars action figures. With Star Wars The Old Republic, the choices you make, the freedom you have, that's really at the heart of a Bioware game. And beyond The Old Republic, there are so many stories that we still want to tell. Our goal has always been not to just sort of make a game that is set in the Star Wars universe, but to really tell an authentic Star Wars story. 
And that's actually a hugely different thing. How do you ground the new and unfamiliar in the familiar? You need the guidance of someone like Doug Chang to show you the way. One of the great joys of working with Amy is she is like a, a film director in many ways because she is telling her story and I'm helping to realize her world. Ye has some really exciting plans in the works for the Star Wars portfolio, and what we're doing is bringing in talent from across the industry and letting them loose. We have completely different games on the horizon, and I just hope that every fan walks away going, wow, I never thought they were gonna bring my Star Wars fantasy to life. And so then you have um, Amy, Amy Hennig, who, um, if you don't know, like she's um, like in a video game industry veteran. Um, she worked on the Legacy of Kane games um, and the first reboot of the, the Tomb Raider series um, at Crystal Dynamics. And then she went on to Naughty Dog and... Um, like co-developed the uncharted series there and was you know um pretty responsible for um a lot of the storytelling in um the first couple uncharted games and um which were you know especially two was like super well received um so like her ea getting her on a Star Wars game was like a really big coup at the time. And so if you watch the video and I have it um, again, like the link I have in here is um, starting right at that section. Um, it shows her collaborating with Doug Chang from Lucasfilm. Um, and so there was like this really deep collaboration between, you know, Lucasfilm and the story team and the, um, you know, like, development um side over there uh with amy hennig and visceral and it seemed like they were setting up something really really big and exciting yeah um i mean i'm not a huge fan of the uncharted games uh i didn't really play them i played a little bit of like one or two of them and was like mm, i don't know if it's quite my thing but mm -hmm. um it seemed way more my thing than Battlefront and uh, you know, like the, the level of respect that people have for Amy Hennig as a developer, writer, creator, et cetera. Um, it just seemed like EA was like, okay, we're going to get like sort of the, the best person in the industry for this kind of game and put it, put her on, you know, sort of what I view as the best intellectual property. So you take like the best creator of that kind of game, put them mm -hmm. on like the number one sort of like most exciting sort of like, uh, property that they could be, you know, developing Amy Hennig and Star Wars put it together. You know, you read this post, it seems like we're really behind this game. We're putting a lot of resources into it. Lucasfilm believes in it. We believe in it. It just sounds incredible, you know? Um, and uh, so I think it's a real shame that that game is never going to happen at this point. Yeah. So, um, so like, you know, at that point, you know, as fans of video games and Star Wars, um, you know, I think most of us were like, wow, things are 
things are looking pretty good for the next few years. Um, and then they're like to kind of um, close this uh, blog post, this video, um, this, you know, future of Star Wars from 2016 out. Um, it's mentioned that, uh, and I'll, I'll just quote from here. Uh, That's not all we have in production right now. Our partners at Respawn Entertainment are making their own third-person action-adventure game, one that features a different style of gameplay and takes place in a different timeline we have yet to explore with our Star Wars titles. And we're in pre-production on some other projects we think you're going to be excited about as well. And then no matter what the genre you play or the platform you play on, we will have a great Star Wars game for you. So <laughs> that was uh, that was 2016. Um, and then I think, you know, um, I again, I was really excited about um, what was happening with this, uh, you know, when they brought Respawn into the fold as well. Um, because this was, um, you know, I was, a I was a big fan of the original Titanfall on, uh, Xbox one and then, um, Titanfall two from, from Respawn was like even better and had like one of the best, uh, you know, story, um, story campaigns in a in a shooter and i really really enjoyed that so like you know i'm I'm pretty excited about um what respawn has coming which uh is still coming um that is one that's still coming but like that was another like cool announcement and then like you know the idea that you know they're in pre-production on these other things and no matter what platform you play on like we've got a star wars game for you no matter what genre um and yeah so then uh let's fast forward a bit to um oh, when when was this oh i don't have a i don't have a date on this um bummer but uh the post here uh <laughs> the next thing we kind of hear from uh ea around the visceral star wars project is um this post that they had on their website an update on the visceral star wars project and uh, the subhead is a change to one of our upcoming titles and it says here our visceral studio has been developing an action adventure title set in the star wars universe in its current form it was shaping up to be a story-based linear adventure game throughout the development process we have been testing the game concept with players listening to the feedback about what they want and how they want to play and closely tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace it has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we need to pivot the design. We will maintain the stunning visuals, authenticity in the Star Wars universe, and focus on bringing a Star Wars story to life. Importantly, we are shifting the game to be a broader experience that allows for more variety and player agency, leaning into the capabilities of our Frostbite engine and reimagining central elements of the game to give Star Wars, to give players a Star Wars adventure of greater depth and breadth 
to explore. This move leads to a few other changes. A development team from across EA Worldwide Studios will take over development of this game, led by a team from EA Vancouver that has already been working on the project. Our Visceral Studio will be ramping down and closing, and we're in the midst of shifting as many of the team as possible to other projects and teams at EA. Yeah, so basically um, a story-driven game that's just single-player focused, doesn't have online microtransactions and online play, isn't uh, the the behemoth, like, two-year-long, you know, constantly growing player base type of game that we want to make. Uh, we're not interested in making video games that are not, you know, um, that. And so we're just going to try to turn it into something it's not is what it sounds like uh, to me. That's how I read that press release. Uh, it's become clear that we've got to pivot the design so that we can like keep making money on this thing month after month after month for like two years straight. And it has to be online and it has to have multiplayer and it can't just be a, a story driven game. And if it's only eight or 10 hours long, then people are going to sell it a month after they get it. And we don't make those kind of games. Yeah, essentially. And yeah. like, that's how, that's how it felt from um, the, the, uh, you know, that press release and, um, you know, it was kind of, it was pretty easy to read, um, between the lines on that, um, from like a corporate perspective. Um, but then the story becomes a bit more complicated. Um, if you read, um, an article published on Kotaku, uh, at, in October of, uh, 2017 by uh, Jason Schreier, who is like pretty much like the dude for um, getting, you know, in getting scoops on um, internal studio politics and game development. Yeah, he's like the investigative journalist of video game development or whatever. Yeah, basically. Yeah. He wrote um, he wrote a book um, a couple of years ago called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. And that actually, there's a chapter in there that chronicles the, uh, uh, <coughs> the in, end and cancellation of Star Wars uh, 1313, which was um, going to be like a next generation um star wars game uh at lucasfilm before the uh the disney buyout um but he wrote um this article the collapse of visceral's ambitious star wars game and this article um it's kind of a long read um and it it adds some more like nuance to the situation and i don't want to just like paraphrase it because that won't give like the full picture but they're um, to kind of like summarize, which I think you should, if you're interested in this stuff, I think you should read this article. Um, but to summarize, there were quite a few factors that led to, um, you know, Visceral's game not happening. Um, and I mean, the probably the biggest one would have been the, uh, you know, the lack of support from the publisher 
Um, and I mean, you can't really do much when, um, you know, your publisher doesn't really believe in your game and uh, doesn't want you to make that game. But there's also other factors where there was some, uh, you know, like a lot of unhappy staff um, at Visceral because they had just been, um, you know, like their kind of pet project there was the Dead Space series and Dead Space had kind of been like shut down. Um, and then they were put on to make a Battlefield spinoff. Um, and then they split the team further after um, their Battlefield game, Battlefield Hardline, came out to um, like half the team got to go work on the Star Wars game and then half the team had to do expansion uh, content for Battlefield Hardline. And that felt like a really big divide within the company um, because no one really wanted to do the Battlefield uh, content. And, um, and then the fact that their studio was located in San Francisco, um, which was already was and was becoming even more of an expensive uh, place to live and, uh, you know, to pay employees sustainable salaries was um, becoming more and more of a challenge um, there. And yeah um so there's a there's a lot of factors um happening and i again i just like suggest to read the article um but the long and short of it was it had been you know visceral was closed um amy hennig left and that's where we're kind of at uh, leading into the release of Battlefront 2. And so we were uh, we were right on the uh, the front lines of this. <laughs> um, I can remember this uh, time period very well. Um, you know, us all texting back and forth because it was pretty Im unprecedented uh, leading into the launch of Battlefront 2. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, about, you know, the pre-release of Battlefront 2 and how we were kind of feeling and what sort of happened there? Uh, yeah, well, I'll try to remember, Ryan. Um, you know, I definitely remember being excited for Battlefront 2. Um, and I'm not sure what my thoughts going into I think I was probably a little, uh, honestly, a little trepidatious. I mean, I was excited about the game because, you know, there were things in Battlefront one that I liked a lot, but obviously, you know, like I said, it wasn't totally for me. But that being said, this game promised a single player campaign, which it delivered, you know, so that I was looking forward to for sure. Um, I think you're talking though about all the drama related to the microtransactions, like in the week before the game came out. Um, yeah, but I mean, even before that, like, um, I, I felt like we were feeling pretty high on it going into it. Like, you know, there was that John Boyega video. Oh, yeah. where he was talking about like the single player component. And then um, there was the Christy golden book about Inferno squad, which, um, you know, I read and like loved. Um, and, you know, I was really excited to, um, you know, kind of get the story behind the single player component. And then there was all the prequel content in the multiplayer. Yeah. And, you know, we played, I remember we played the PS4 beta yeah, and we did a show and, about that. Yeah, and like, you know, playing in like Feed Palace and stuff, like, yeah. and on Naboo, and like how, 
cool it was. Like I was, uh, I like I was feeling really good going into uh, Battlefront Two. I was really, really excited for this game, and um, apparently the the gaming community uh, less so. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where. Um... Yeah, like sometimes a controversy or uh, something that people get mad about um, kind of like catches fire within like Twitter and gaming forums and just like, yeah, I guess like the gaming community or whatever. And this was one of those things that like went from zero to 60 in terms of people being angry, uh, I feel like really quickly um, and not without good reason, you know, because it was like it seemed like, hey, you're, bu you're buying this game for 60 bucks, but then we're really through microtransactions going to try to um bleed a bunch of money out of people uh you know um sort of continually as you play the game and a lot of people weren't too excited about that uh obviously and um what was it like just a couple days before the game came out or something like that they um kind of like went back and ch changed their microtransaction policy and took them out at the launch of the game um for a time uh and it was in reaction to sort of everybody freaking out but <laughs> it, it was literally the day before. Okay, the actual day before the game came out. The, the day before the game came out. Yeah, and so yeah. that's like, uh, man, I mean, I'm sure those microtransactions obviously were like a huge part of their plan for the game and their whole like, you know, sort of their uh, their plans for, for making money on the game. Um, and so to completely change that on a dime like the day before the game comes out is uh, indicative of what a firestorm there was around this whole thing um and there was there were rumors too i don't know if they're true or not but there were rumors um at the time that uh that old uh, bob Iger got on the phone with ea and was like you need to fix this um because it's making star wars look really bad like it was bad for the brand um and it was back then when i started to think a lot of people started to think um not an original idea of mine but something that i was you know definitely considering is like how much longer is this ea star wars deal going to last because it just seems like it's been a real mess and you have to wonder um how happy the people at disney are with uh this whole you know kind of deal um but uh but yeah they turned off the microtransactions um a lot of people bought the game, but a lot of people, I remember there was a lot of discussion on like podcasts I listen to and like video game sites that I read and stuff, like a lot of discussion of like, I'm never buying another EA game again. Like I'm done with EA. I hate EA. I'm not buying Battlefront 2. I'd love to play it, but I I'm, I'm cannot support EA anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't know how, how many people are still like completely um, boycotting EA. And, uh, you know, from EA's perspective, I don't know. Um, how large of a, a piece of the the overall pie that is for them people that you know um, boycott EA or whatever but yeah this was like a uh, another kind of um, event in a list of events that like really turned people off to EA and I just remember like a lot of straight up like fury towards <laughs> EA mm -hmm. um, because of of Battlefront 2 um at the time and it was a bummer because i think like the game did not perform the way it would have if it weren't for this controversy um and even though they took these microtransactions out for a long time and when they brought them back they they did so in a in a more legitimate way um the, the there was a um there was a stench left on this game mm -hmm. um that had less to do i think with the game itself and more to do with like the marketing around the game and the way um the publisher EA was looking to make money off of it. And, uh, uh, you know, like me, my experience with playing the game, I really enjoyed it, you know? 
Um, and I thought it was really cool. Now I don't do a lot of the online elements of it. So maybe that's part of it, but, um, I was really happy with the game, but it was just one of those things where uh, I don't think it ever quite recovered from this controversy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, um, it's important to note that like this happened within a month of the decision to close visceral and to chain and pivot the development of their star wars game so i think that was like the the prequel <laughs> um the the beginning of the downfall um here of like public perception because like the visceral thing made a decent amount of people mad um and then the 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 microtransaction which i sort of understand the extent of um but basically um you <clears throat> the way battlefront 2's online component is designed like you know if you've played the game you know there are tons of things to level up um and you can um, you know, when, as you level up, um, you can, you also are gaining currency, which allows you to purchase, um, you know, new, new hero characters, new vehicles, um, stuff like that to use in matches. Um, but you also need to, um, play a ton of each kind of like character class and stuff to unlock like all the abilities and level up those abilities and um that can take a, a really really long time and essentially it seems like the um the microtransactions were to kind of like speed up that process because um it's these are like some of the like skills and like abilities that your um that you can level up and like your character classes can acquire um like make your character like take more damage and do more damage so it's like it's not cosmetic stuff it's stuff that like you know you're not going to be able to compete unless you have this stuff um in like the the online game so that explains why you know, if you, like, log in for the first time, like, you're probably going to get demolished in, like, one hit and not do very much damage to people because you haven't, like, leveled up these um, skills and and such. So um, I think that was where, um, like, the microtransactions would sort of support um, that and you would be able to acquire some of these skills through randomized loot boxes um, that you could purchase with real world money um, to like speed up the process as well. But you also, you know, didn't know if you would get a skill for the class you were playing, um, which, uh, yeah, I think was... <sighs> I mean, it's a it's a really weird model. Um, it is, uh, I think it it benefits people who have tons of free time to play the game. Um, but you know, if 
if not, like you're not going to have a great experience if you don't have, you know, everything unlocked. Um, but the kind of the the counterpoint to this in like the more consumer friendly part of this is that uh, and I think it's worth considering that EA and um, Dice had taken out the paid expansions. All of the game content in Battlefront 2 would now be free instead of like this like $50 online pass. So that was kind of like I saw kind of the the shadiness behind these microtransactions. But at the time, it was really hard for me to be super mad about it because, as I mentioned earlier, with Battlefront 1, I bought the expansion passes, um, the season pass for two consoles. And so like I had already paid $100 for <laughs> Battlefront 1 twice. Um, to get like the full experience so to me like battlefront 2 i was like well I, you know i'll just grind this stuff out and you know if i have to buy you know spend 10 bucks on loot boxes or whatever to you know speed it along like cool that's fine compared to what i spent on battlefront 1 so i was like i was not someone who really saw like this was like the the least evil thing that um ea had done to star wars in like you know in 2017 uh in my opinion um so like i was i was not really sweating this but this somehow is just one of those things where it became like a huge controversy and there were um there were absolutely uh pitchforks uh being wielded and it made like it made mainstream news like i think um you know you me and kevin were sharing you know um posts from like the front page of like cnn it's like new star wars game is getting your kids to gamble like all this like kind of hysteric uh like commentary around it but it you know for better or worse like it became a big thing and it was part of the reason why um you know it became a big conversation within the the video game industry and uh it's part of the reason why we don't really see loot boxes in 2019 games and you see like a lot of developers like um funnily enough um you know bioware with their new you know online persistent world game that comes out this month anthem published by ea they have come out in interviews saying there will be no microtransactions and no loot boxes anything you can like buy in the game you'll know exactly what you're getting and it's all cosmetic like they have gone to great lengths to get that message out there that like okay i know who we are but we're not we're not involved in this stuff like we know how you feel so it i mean it became like this really uh strange cultural and industry-wide touch point yeah, totally. And like you said, I mean, you can still kind of see the effects of it or whatever. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily because it was a Star Wars game or because of specifically the way that it was being implemented in that Star Wars game. It was just like 
um, a perfect storm of things coming together. Uh, and, you know, I guess because it was Star Wars Battlefront, you know, and Star Wars is so well known and all that kind of stuff, it was uh, it was uh, ripe to be the one maybe that this this issue blew up around. But um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's uh, it, it, like I said, it clearly left uh, like a stench on this game that it never recovered from. But also, I think EA um, and just game developers in general were very wary of having that kind of negative press and have something blow up again because, um, yeah, it definitely was not good for for Battlefront Two. So, um, yeah, and that's something I'd forgotten about too, Ryan. That you mentioned, you know, the whole thing that was like, well, you're not going to be buying expansions like DLC expansions for Battlefront Two like you were with Battlefront one so it's kind of like funding the development of more content through microtransactions mm-hmm. which you know if you look at it from that perspective it's not so bad um so yeah it's a it's a complicated uh it's a complicated issue but it's one where the rage from game fans like gamers or whatever uh mm-hmm. it definitely uh boiled over and um it was uh, overall like a, a big gaffe i guess on the part of ea so yeah and um so to kind of finish out like the the Battlefront 2 saga um in March of 2018 uh EA quietly announced that microtransactions were coming back into Star Wars Battlefront 2 but they would be cosmetic only and I don't remember anyone talking about this no, not too much because it was like a. I I I bet they didn't make a lot of money on this either, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it was probably a super popular thing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you know. Um, and Battlefront Two ended up being a popular game, just not as popular as it could have been. I think so. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there were enough people playing that were that were still into it at that time that would have spent some, you know, significant money on on cosmetic stuff for that game. But uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like it was probably a a, a pretty minor. Uh, element of of the game and and the financial scenario surrounding the game at that point too which is you know probably why it didn't make a big splash um and you know i think their hope for battlefront 2 was that it would be something that people would be playing constantly for a year or more um and i'm sure you know obviously it's got a fan base there's still people that play it all the time now Mm -hmm. um but i feel like it didn't really take off the way that they hoped it would and uh uh, you know, I don't know that the the pool of people playing the game still in, would you say March? Um, mm-hmm. You know, four or five months after it came out. I don't know how big that pool was compared to what it would have been. And I don't know how invested they were, um, you know, to be spending a lot of money on cosmetic stuff in that game. But um, yeah. had the game had a more positive reception and story around it when it came out and those cosmetic microtransactions were available then in December or November or whatever, then I think probably December, whatever it was, I think they probably would have been a lot more successful, but yeah but i mean to kind of um to kind of frame this um it it is worth uh, noting that um when ea's initial response to the um the battlefront 2 microtransactions issue um they posted their initial response on reddit and it became the most downvoted reddit comment of all time yeah Um, yeah. i'm not i'm not like a reddit person or anything but um you can kind of like see but i think that's really telling about like where specifically this uh this rage was coming from um and it you know that 
side of the community. Um, and then, you know, I think it's like, it's interesting that, um, you know, when they, you know, put the microtransactions back into Battlefront 2, they're, I mean, people, I mean, I don't want to like use like, you know, the, the outrage culture cliche, but I think people like that group of people, when you think about like how that was such a huge group of people to make it the most downvoted Reddit comment ever. But I guess those people had moved on to being mad about other things at this point. <laughs> um, and I don't know if like their energy, you know, cause um, you know, in the meantime, uh, like, you know, last Jedi came out. So maybe they were downvoting <laughs> last Jedi stuff or who knows what else. Um, but like people weren't, mad anymore even though like they ea went back and like did the thing that they were originally mad about they like did it but then it like was it was such a quiet response and maybe maybe it was because people were just like i you know i don't care what you do with this game now like i've sworn off ea star wars stuff whatever or maybe like it had just moved on to like the next thing to be mad on the internet about yeah yeah, probably a little bit of both, I, I would say. So, And I guess like my kind of final statement on Battlefront 2 is it rules uh, um, yeah. despite everything. And like, I mean, obviously from like listening to this, uh, this show, like I'm as conflicted about the EA Star Wars situation as anyone. Um, but I absolutely loved the single player component. I love the, you know, constant, um, you know, content being released for the game. Um, I still play it. Um, I've put in, um, I checked my, I checked my time before we recorded. I checked on my, on Xbox one to see how long I'd played. And I've played over 40 hours of the game. And, you know, considering that the single player part is like, five hours maybe um that's like 35 hours that i've played in multiplayer um i'm still you know right now um i'm still unlocking like the prequel content um the characters and just kind of like grinding for those uh you know those characters um i i unlocked general grievous and i'm just about to unlock dooku and then um obi-wan is there and then coming still coming because they're still supporting this game with new free content is uh anakin uh like clone wars anakin skywalker so i'm really excited um you know to unlock everyone and then kind of like i i assume that you know after anakin that will probably be like the end of um you know battlefront 2's free free content and the end of the game as we most likely ramp up for a Battlefront 3. But like overall, I think um, Battlefront 2 is kind of the game that I wished Battlefront 1 was. I think it's overall a great game that has been supported for a really long time um, for free. And I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of it. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, we have a couple friends who have not played it yet who I've been trying to convince to buy it for a while now because like it's so often on sale for 10 bucks or yeah. I've seen it for like less than that even. And yeah. the amount of content you get with that is crazy. And, you know, my my try, the way I try to sell it to people is like, you know, for me primarily, you know, I've played a few hours of multiplayer and like arcade stuff, but basically I played the the single player story you know, and that was mostly it. I mean, again, I've played some online. I don't even have like PS plus to play online right now, you know? Mm -hmm. So like I haven't played a ton of online, but, uh, but even just for, I felt I paid, you know, 60 bucks for the game when it came out and I felt like it was worth it for that single player storyline and Mm -hmm. a little bit of arcade and online play. Um, and, and I thought it was a really good game, you know? Um, if you can get it for 10 or $15, even if all you care about is that single player stuff, it's certainly worth it. Um, if all you care about is online stuff, it's certainly worth it. And yeah, if you're a Star Wars fan and you have a next gen console or, you know, I guess current gen console at this point uh, would be the way to refer to it. And, and you haven't played this game. I think it's crazy not to because it's so inexpensive uh, most mm-hmm. of the time to download from an online, you know, uh, store from Xbox or, or, or PlayStation. And uh, yeah, it's totally worth checking out. Uh, visually astounding. Um, and, and there's enough in this game that there's something there for everybody, I feel like, which was not the case with Battlefront 1. Um, mm-hmm. But weirdly, it's like this this story or this game has like a worse uh, reputation and, and more problems surrounding it, I guess, than, than the first Battlefront did. And to me, it's like unquestionably the better game of the two, like by far. Yeah. Um, yes. So, so it's kind of a bummer that the way they... Um, and put it out mm-hmm. there and the, and the way they introduced it to the world and everything kind of they bungled that and as a result um what is definitely the better uh ea star wars game i, I think the best game they've put out mm-hmm. um there's not a lot to choose from uh is uh is one that you know a lot of people didn't play when they may have otherwise and anyway if you haven't played it you should get it because it's really cheap and really good at this point so yeah and there's all i mean there's all that content like you talked about it's still there so you know you're you're paying 10, 15 bucks, 20 bucks even, um, and getting just a ton of content. So totally worth yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even have to be good at it to unlock stuff. You just have to play. You like just have to I, get killed over and over. Yeah, again. Like <laughs> I never rise from like the middle of the scoreboards. Um, like I'm, you know, I'm never in the top tier, um, but I'm never quite in the bottom tier usually like m- mid to bottom area. Um, yeah. But like I still, you know, you still get the experience points and credits and stuff so that you can like unlock cool cosmetic stuff. Um, there's amazing solo content with like, you know, young young Lando, young Han Solo uh, that are in there um, that look great and it's like you know it's just it's just fun to kind of like it's like a very old school video game feeling to like kind of just plug away at like trying to unlock characters and stuff like it's um it's just cool it's just a like i usually just put on music or a podcast or something and just like go out there and just play and it's so fun so yeah so that brings us to kind of the end of our episode and um you know the final uh the final thing here, which is, um, again, a story broke by Jason Schreier at Kotaku um, on January fir- or January 15th, 2019. And um, 
It, it reads, Electronic Arts has canceled its open world Star Wars game, according to three people familiar with goings, goings on at the company. The game announced alongside the shutdown of Visceral Games back in 2017 had been in development at EA's office in Vancouver. So this was the game. This was, you know, what we had mentioned earlier when they pivoted the design. Well, uh, that game has been canceled. Um, and the, uh, I guess the sort of silver lining on this, um, is, and I'll just read right from Jason's article here. When EA's top decision makers looked at their roadmap for the next few years, they decided they needed something earlier than the planned release for Orca, which was the code name for this, uh, this open world Star Wars game, according to two people familiar with what happened. So they canceled Orca in favor of a smaller scale Star Wars project that's now aimed for much sooner, likely late 2020, which also happens to be around the time I've heard next-gen consoles will launch. Um, to EA's credit, those people said the publisher did not lay off anyone as part of this transition. This news comes at a time of cost-cutting across the industry. Uh, and some at the studio also hope that Orca may be restarted after this new project is finished. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I think one of the big issues, uh, this sucks, you know, because this mm -hmm. this game was uh, was one to look forward to, it seemed like. But then again, like once they kind of got rid of Amy Hennig and or she left or whatever they did and they mm -hmm. changed it, you know, changed developers and all that, it was sort of like, what even is this game at this point, you know? And, and so, um, I don't know. Uh, it's it, I think that was the biggest, like the most upsetting thing. It's like, okay, well, Amy Hennig and Visceral aren't making this game anymore. Now it's we're changing it over to EA Vancouver um, because we want it to be the kind of game that you know is more the kind of game we like to make. And it was like, okay, so it's lost its identity. It's becoming something you think you can monetize better, et cetera. So uh, you know, I was less excited about it, uh, I guess, once that happened anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but still, you know, there was probably a lot there that would have been really cool, and you know, could have been something great. And so, um, hearing that it's canceled is a bummer. But then the idea that like, well, actually, we need to put out more games. Um, I mean, that's my biggest issue with the whole EA deal is like they barely put anything out. And, you know, there's not a lot of Star Wars games to play. So if you don't like Battlefront and Battlefront's not really your thing, there's no Star Wars games coming out, which sucks. So if, if they're looking to make uh, more games uh, or get something out sooner and, and have uh, a little more variety in the games they're putting out by making something um, more quickly that's maybe uh, less ambitious, uh, that could be good too, you know? So um, I guess, like you said, that's a little bit of a silver lining or or whatever there. Um, and then the other silver lining or the other positive thing, which we really haven't talked about at all, um, but mm -hmm. we're, we're running out of time here, is the fact that Respawn's game, uh, mm -hmm. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, is hopefully coming out later this year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Respawn, they did Titanfall. You played Titanfall, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't, but I think that's supposed to be a pretty fun game, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, Super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, you know, hopefully that game will be really cool, and uh, the story sounds pretty interesting for for Fallen Order. So, um, and we've we've talked about that game on the show before, anyway. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, like I guess as we sort of wrap up here, it's like 
okay, well, we've got this partnership between EA and, and Lucasfilm, and EA is going to exclusively make Star Wars games, you know, that starts in 2013 and it's 2019. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've gotten Battlefront 1 and we've gotten Battlefront 2, and that's it. And mm-hmm. Battlefront was pretty good. Battlefront 2, I think, is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's pretty much like one Star Wars experience. You know, I mean, Battlefront yeah, 1 yeah. and 2 are, are different games, but, or, you know, one's a sequel, but it's kind of the same thing, just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, evolved. So mm-hmm. you've gotten, that's it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and so if we get another game this year and it's not just more Battlefront and it's good, that'll mm-hmm. be really cool. Um, and if we can get maybe some other things in addition to that as well, that would be great too. Um, I just, I don't understand why EA doesn't, you know, contract some smaller developers to make some smaller games, like download only games, you know, make, mm-hmm. uh, it's just crazy. Like when, when the last Jedi came out and and whoever, uh, the person was who put together like a little 16 bit, like Kylo and Luke on crate little demo thing, you know, yeah. not to be a game for people to play, but just like an aesthetic thing or something to check mm-hmm. out. It's like, Oh my God, why are we not getting more of this kind of stuff? You know, like, how are we not getting, mm-hmm just smaller games in different genres and, you know, a more breadth and variety uh, of games. So I don't, I still don't really seem like that's what we're in for. You know, we've got Fallen Order, yeah. maybe a Battlefront sequel. I don't, it doesn't seem like we're getting a ton of games coming up, but um, yeah, but I don't understand why really. It's like, why do, why do you get this license? This, what must be a really expensive license, you know, um, and then put out like one game every 1.8 years or whatever, if that, you know what I mean? Uh, it seems kind of like a waste. Yeah. And I mean, there's also just like such a large um, back catalog of Star Wars games that are not playable on modern devices. Um, You know, there's the, you know, someone is sitting on that like Rogue Squadron collection from Factor 5. Oh, I think I know who the someone is. I think it's EA. Oh, yeah. they, uh, They could totally, I'm sure put that out if they wanted to you know they can yeah. make that deal and put that out yeah um in fact uh factor five uh i forget the name of the the founder and kind julian of, something yeah yeah uh, he he uh, almost said as much like it's done we'd love to put it out we just need like <laughs> yeah the powers that be which we know who that is that's lucasfilm yeah. and it's yeah. ea do you think lucasfilm would block putting out that game i don't think so you know what yeah. i mean i think it's it's ea looking at it and probably saying oh that's not you know, where are the microtransactions? Like, how, how do you yeah. get people to play it for 14 months at a time? Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to bother with that if it's not that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, on, like, there are some, like, positives. Um, on uh, PS4, you can play, and on Vita um, as well, weirdly, you can play um, Super Star Wars, which is weird. Um, but you can do that. Uh, that was released. Um, and then also uh, a, a few uh, PS2 Star Wars games were released on PS4 um, back when Sony was like kind of releasing PS2 games on PS4 um, with like trophies and they're like upscaled and stuff. And that's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, episode one racer for PS2, I think is fantastic. Jedi Starfighter is pretty good. Uh, the bounty hunter game not so good uh but then over on the xbox side uh they have recently made a lot of um original xbox games backwards compatible on the xbox one 
um, which if you're playing on a one X, it upscales automatically to 4k, um, which is really cool. Um, and you can play games like Knights of the Old Republic one and two, um, Jedi Knight two, uh, uh, Jedi Academy, um, Republic Commando. And, you know, I have, I have all those games and they look fantastic in 4k. Also, I mentioned earlier, Lego Star Wars complete collection, um, and then, uh, what else? The Force Unleashed 1 and 2 are backwards compatible on Xbox One. And if you have an Xbox One X, uh, Force Unleashed 1 is uh, upscaled to 4K. And it kind of looks like a modern Star Wars game. Wow. Like that game, I mean... Everyone has their opinions on Force Unleashed. I think it's. I think those games are pretty fun. Um, you can have your opinions on the story, but uh, I think like if you want to like experience Star Wars games on modern consoles, like there are some options now. So yeah, something. Well, I'll tell you what. I if I if I ever get a 4K TV and need to get a 4K disc player, I think you've just sold me on. Uh, just getting an Xbox One X um, as as my as my 4K disc player. Um, I don't think yeah. you know I would go out and buy an Xbox just to be able to play all these old games uh, backwards compatible, especially mm-hmm. since I have the majority of them um, accessible on my PC. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not really playing them on my PC because I don't really play games on my PC. Yeah. You know, so if I uh, if I needed to get um, a 4K disc player, I, I think that uh, would be the way to do it if you're a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Um, especially as the uh, as time goes on here, I would think that the price drops are in the future for that console and stuff like yeah, that too. So, for sure. um, that would be cool. That would be cool for sure. Um, okay. Well, uh, I think we've got to wrap it up here, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan. Any uh, any final thoughts you want to share on on the whole status of? Uh, do you want to see this partnership continue? Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? No. I mean, I don't think an exclusive partnership for Star Wars is a good choice. Um, Like, I don't. I I think you need partnerships like how, um, you know, if you can't have LucasArts developing the games internally, like, you need those partnerships with a multitude of developers um, across the industry. And you need developers for mobile games. You need developers for VR games. You need developers for, like, Xbox and PlayStation, you need a developer for like Nintendo Switch. Um, That we didn't even get into that. We got to go, but like that's the biggest travesty of the whole EA deal, too. Zero Star Wars games on Switch. Get out of here, EA. Get out of here. What on earth? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Um, No, (laughs) like you need that. You need Star Wars games for kids. You need Star Wars games for like jaded 30 somethings. Like you, I mean, you just, you need Star Wars games for teens. Like just, yeah, like. Um, no, I don't, I don't, this was good. (laughs) Uh, Even though like I'm, I'm super excited, um, for Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, I would like to see what it looks like (laughs) at (laughs) the point. We haven't even seen like a screenshot. Um, if, I mean, I'll believe it when I play it as far as it coming out in 2019, but I have high hopes for that studio. Um, well, my, my thing is that there's no reason they, the, these EA games couldn't have been made while other developers are making other Star Wars games, except yeah. for, you know, EA, I guess, probably wanted, hey, if we're going to invest 
this these resources and stuff into making these games we don't want any other star wars games competing with us but mm-hmm. um that was a, a a poor choice on the part of uh a lucasfilm i feel like you know and I, mm-hmm. I i usually try to avoid making statements like that like here i am just some dork you know like on a podcast like trying to act like i know more about like what kind of deal they should make and you know mm-hmm. the business side of things than they do like obviously i don't but at the same time EA's and it's not like oh my god they're such a better developer than everybody else that it's worth giving that up for them to me mm-hmm. it's not worth it it's like there's so many missed opportunities and missed like um games you know that that could have been made um that aren't being made because we gave everything to EA and mm-hmm. uh yeah I you know I'm not saying I don't want any games from EA uh, but mm-hmm. the exclusivity thing is ridiculous and unnecessary um in my uneducated opinion but I mean look here I am like yeah I'm I'm representative of the people that want to play Star Wars games and, yeah uh, we're not getting to play them you know what I mean yeah. so whatever you had to sacrifice to give EA this or whatever kind of benefit there is from that it's, it doesn't outweigh the fact that you're just not serving content to to fans and you think about like the publishing world there's so many star wars books coming out comics all that stuff like there's so much and then in in terms of games which really could be a huge thing for star wars there's like practically mm-hmm. nothing um mm-hmm. and so yeah it's just kind of crazy yep okay yep. we got to wrap it here mm-hmm. uh so um i'm sure we'll be talking about uh, star wars games in the future here on the show um mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be back uh, very soon with our next episode. Until then, you could reach us at uh, gmail.com if you have thoughts on Star Wars and games, if you have thoughts on Star Wars in general, or you just want to give us feedback on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely can reach us there, as uh, the Royal Farm Boy did. So uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Um, check out anything we do at blockaderunnerpodcast.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Blockade Run. Ryan, you are on Twitter. At Braun Dwarf, B-R-A-W-N-D-W-A-R-F. All right. And, uh, yeah, any other links you can find there at, uh, at BlockadeRunnerPodcast.com. Um, and uh, we'd love to see you subscribe on iTunes or your podcast service of choice. And, uh, you know, if you uh, watch the show or are interested in any of the other videos we put up, we're on YouTube and you can subscribe there as well. Um, so I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, thanks very much for watching and or listening. And um, we'll be back soon with more Blockade Runner Podcasts.